Hello and welcome to Workhorse, the podcast about Royal Australian Air Force C-130 Hercules aircraft. Today we're talking about humanitarian assistance disaster relief operations in and around the 1975 to 1985 era. I'm your host, Bill Kurilankos. Some of you know me as K-9. I served over 30 years in the Canadian and Australian Air Forces, primarily in air mobility roles. In this historically informative podcast series, I cover the entire history of Australian C-130s, including a look at how Australian history was shaped by Australia's Hercules aircraft. This podcast series is generally chronological, and it's based upon an extensive history book I wrote about Australian Air Force C-130s, titled Air Mobility Workhorse, which should be published in late 2024. Now, as I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, the Australian government shifted towards global peacekeeping and a more domestically focused approach to defense strategy from around the early 1970s. This led to a huge surge in humanitarian assistance, disaster relief, and we're going to call that HADR because it's easier to say. So it led to a huge surge in HADR operations undertaken in the 75 to 86 era, including a whole bunch of cyclone relief, particularly in the island nations to the northeast of Australia, and a whole bunch of flood relief in Australia and some famine relief abroad. And we're going to touch on a bunch of those. The second half of 1975 ended with the RAF supporting the Red Cross in Timor as part of the international effort to help refugees escape the Indonesian takeover of Timor-Leste, and that included two C-130Es that took 180 refugees from Dili. There was also a cyclone in Port Hedland and the beginnings of what would become probably one of the worst flood seasons ever on record. Two operations in the 75 to 86 years were noteworthy because of the extent of C-130 contributions, and that was the Mori floods of 76 in the Cambodian famine of 1979, so we're going to talk about those today. Let's start off with some floods. An early indication of the floods to come was the widespread moderate to heavy rains that fell in southern Queensland and northern New South Wales in the second half of December 75. Now that water flowed towards South Australia and western New South Wales, where rain continued to fall. One of the first missions relating to this huge flooding event was a search and rescue mission, and this is an interesting one, for a stockman named Tom Emblem. And he was spotted on the bonnet of his ute in rising waters of the Diamantina River, about 220 kilometers west of Longreach. And he was too far from the nearest helicopter. So the raft was called in on the 28th of December to drop a raft to him. John Pickett and his crew in 212 found Emblem on a 30-meter square bit of land surrounded by swirling river waters. They flew in at 50 meters above the river, and Pickett's crew dropped a Lindholm rescue kit upstream, and it floated towards Emblem, who successfully retrieved the rafts and supplies, and he survived. Chalk one up for the Hercs. The wet weather continued relentlessly. In the first half of February 76, Cyclone Allen traversed from the Gulf of Carpentaria to Tennant Creek and Birdsville, leading to an enormous system of heavy rainfall and that resulted in widespread flooding in northern and western New South Wales, southern Queensland, parts of southeast Australia, and for example, the Mihai River peaked at 10.6 metres in Moree. Flying through the region, C-130s landed at airfields surrounded by floodwaters lapping at the bordering levees, and those were the only things keeping the airfields from being inundated. Power was out at a whole bunch of the airfields, thus disabling electronic navigation aids, so navigation was done visually. And with so much water around, the normal landmarks were hard to see, so the navigators earned a bit of extra pay during that operation. The ADS response was pretty huge. The RAF committed elements of the following squadrons. 
5, 9, 12, 35, 36, and 38, along with supporting units. Essential tasking, so stuff that 36 Squadron had to drop to facilitate the flood relief, was picked up by 37 Squadron. Along with transporting emergency supplies, vehicles, and bulldozers, and with so many helicopters in the field, the fuel supply was pretty critical. So all of that became major tasks for the C-130s. And we've talked about hay bales before, and with a track record of having dropped hay bales for other flood events, of course, talk turned to whether hay bales would be dropped from C-130s for this Maury flood. The cost of hay was expensive at the time, and livestock prices were low, so there was some initial hesitation. But hay bale dropping eventually commenced a few weeks into the operation, when it was apparent livestock losses were going to be enormous. These drops took place in the Walgut, Colorenobri, Noronora areas, and in much the same way as in previous years. Warrant Officer Grimmer told me he flew a few of those sorties in February 76, and he recalled, and this is a quote, Despite masks and goggles and the taping of your flying suit at both wrist and boot levels, the amount of loose hay that made its way into your flying suit was highly uncomfortable and seemed to make its way out of your body for days afterwards, end quote. By the end of the operation, 36 Squadron had dropped more than 26,000 bales of hay. In total, five C-130As were assigned at any one time. They flew a combination of around 280 hours, 165 sorties, and over 2 million pounds of cargo. That was a big operation. All right, let's talk a little bit now about Operation Rice Bowl. So from 1975 until a Vietnamese-led invasion on the 25th of December 1978, Cambodia was ruled by Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge. Under Pol Pot's dictatorship, Cambodians were subjected to harsh conditions and famine was rife. The Vietnamese installed a new government, but anti-Vietnamese Cambodian forces fought the invasion and the new government. This fighting led to mass refugee movements and the failure of the 79 rice crop. By mid-1979, atrocities, human tragedy, pending famine in Cambodia, all captured the attention of many nations around the world. In conjunction with the Red Cross, the United Nations International Children's Emergency Fund, or UNICEF for short, commenced its largest operation since the Second World War, by coordinating famine relief operations and delivering aid to Cambodians. Some of those operations delivered aid to refugee camps on the Cambodian-Thai border, and others operated into Phnom Penh, delivering supplies directly to the capital. The Red Cross called on the international community to support famine relief operations, and Australia responded by committing C-130Hs. Squadron leader John Cornish and Flight Lieutenant Eric Louis Lundberg departed in 011 on 15th of November 1979 and flew the first mission from Don Wang Airport, which is Bangkok, to Phnom Penh on the 17th. The threat situation wasn't all that clear, so it was decided to paint the aircraft with giant red crosses on the sides and the wings. And the crews practiced a bit of rapid taxiing and departure techniques just in case. Fortunately, the threats abated over time and those tactics were never required. The 36 Squadron Herx flew two missions a day, generally carrying about 35,000 pounds of food on each mission. Over the ensuing two months, loads consisted of milk powder, dried beans, rice, vegetable oil, dried fish, and the occasional truck. In fact, over a thousand trucks were delivered by the Red Cross to Cambodia because the country didn't have a functional distribution system. At some point in late November 1979, Operation Rice Bowl moved to Singapore, 
and continued deliveries to Cambodia at the same pace. For the crews, that pace was pretty relentless. They started at 3 o'clock in the morning, left the hotel, ended up at the airports, and each of the crew members went around their business, including pre-flighting the aircraft by torch, of course, getting weather forecasts, planning the flights, getting dip clearances, filing flight plans, uploading data into the computers, and of course, the backbreaking work of loading 150-pound sacks of food. And it was backbreaking work because the loads weren't put onto L pallets, and that was because there wasn't any material handling equipment in Cambodia. So instead, trucks and forklifts were used to get the sacks of the food to the aircraft, where cargo handlers manually floor-loaded them. But there was an army of people there to help load, and so it didn't take much more than 30 to 45 minutes to get those aircraft loaded. And those of you that have been in the stifling Singapore heat and humidity, you know what the end result was, right? Rivers of sweats running down your back when doing that kind of work. And those missions typically flew under the call sign Red Cross 99, and after all that work, they normally got airborne by the crack of dawn and managed to get a second mission in later that day. Of course, loading the second aircraft would have really been terrible in terms of the heat and the humidity. There was one mission that we should talk about, because not everything goes according to plan sometimes. There was one sortie that was flown with an outgoing aircraft captain who was flying with a replacement crew on their first mission to help them orient themselves at Phnom Penh. And of course, those familiarization flights were needed because of the paucity of information about conditions in Phnom Penh. Critical to their operations, some of the areas of the airfield weren't strong enough to hold a C-130's weight, so crews on those familiarization flights got shown where to go and where not to go. On this one flight, Flight Lieutenant Ian Hawkeye Hawk was the outgoing aircraft captain, and he accompanied Flight Lieutenant Dave Coco Burns as the incoming aircraft captain on the 19th of December, 1979. Now, on approach to Phnom Penh, the loadmaster, Sergeant Paul Stainless Steel, collected the passports. But Flying Officer Pete Dog Gerstel, who was the navigator, didn't have his passport. It was in the hotel. The crew decided they'd continue the mission anyway, and they landed uneventfully. And as happened on previous flights, Vietnamese soldiers met the aircraft, checked the documentation, searched the aircraft for unauthorized passengers, but it was the crew's unlucky day. A sharp-eyed Vietnamese soldier realized the crew consisted of six people, but there were only five passports. Ian Hawk tried to resolve the situation, but what ended up happening was that Vietnamese soldier got a little bit agitated, pulled out his pistol, pointed it at Ian, and after yelling at him for a little bit in Vietnamese, they marched off together to the terminal building with the pistols still pointed at Ian's head. So Dave Burns had a tough decision to make. Crews weren't shutting down during the offload to minimize the chance of having to conduct a repair in the uncertain threat environment at Phnom Penh, so they were chewing through their fuel while they were waiting for Ian to get himself out of whatever mess he was in. With only 20 minutes of spare fuel, the crew was weighing up their options. So some wanted to go en masse to the terminal building and rescue Ian, but Dave Burns decided against that because he didn't want to agitate those soldiers. So they put their faith in Ian's ability to talk his way out of the situation, and they figured if they had to shut down and wait for him, well, that's what they needed to do. Fortunately, Ian convinced the Vietnamese soldiers that it was just an honest mistake and that it would never happen again. And funnily enough, Dave Burns got tested on that one because due to a last-minute crew change, he ended up having two technicians on board his flight without passports. Well, I guess what he did. Dave didn't hesitate. He turned around, 
offloaded the technicians, and continued the mission. So that operation continued from the 17th of November, 79, through the 19th of January, 1980. They even flew on Christmas Day. And in total, nine crews from 36th Squadron combined to fly 530 hours in four different aircraft on 92 sorties and airlifted almost 3 million pounds of supplies to the beleaguered Cambodian community. And believe it or not, even with all the little troubles they had here and there, they didn't miss a single planned sortie. Well done, lads. The entire operation was repeated from the 13th of June to the 31st of July 1980, when 37 Squadron did pretty much the same thing, obviously flying C-130Es on Operation Hunger Relief. And they flew 31 missions from Bangkok to Phnom Penh on a variety of different aircraft and swapped crews around as well. But, unfortunately, the 37 Squadron unit history sheets have no information other than tail numbers and mission dates, so we don't know who was on what mission and what they did. So Operation Rice Bowl was only one of the many HADR missions that the Hercs flew between Vietnam and the 1987 White Paper. By the early 80s, Australia was regularly responding to regional and overseas cyclone disasters with Hercs. A regular pattern emerged whereby ADF helicopters and ground staff would be flown in by C-130s, followed by sorties of food, medicine, construction material, etc., to be distributed by those helicopters in the affected regions. That recipe was repeated for many cyclones, such as Melly in 79, Wally in 80, Oscar in 83, and those were all in Fiji, Isaac in Tonga, Bernie in the Solomons, Eric and Nigel in Vanuatu and Fiji, and Namu in the Solomon Islands. The response to Cyclone Isaac in Tonga set a particularly important precedent for the future of Australian strategy in the region because the speed and scale of that response, delivered by 21 C-130 sorties, was a new development in the region that caught the attention of Australia's regional partners. And a similar effect was achieved by the large response supporting Vanuatu and Fiji after Cyclones Eric and Nigel. And all those really rapid responses and the huge contribution Australia made established a pattern of behavior whereby Australian national power in the region was growing. And that was all made possible by the C-130. Well, that's it for today. If you know anyone interested in military history, aviation, or even was a passenger on C-130s, please tell them about this podcast. Thank you for listening.